ask you a question. Have you ever known somebody who was good at everything? You know, that kind of person who they're just, they're just excellent. Like they're strong, smart, funny, wealthy. They just seem to have it all together. When I was in college, I taught an eighth grade boys Sunday school class with a guy named Travis. And Travis was one of those guys. He had a good job making a lot of money. He was attractive. He was funny. He loved Jesus. He could sing like a canary. Um, He could beat anybody in basketball. He just had all of it. But he also seemed to have the prettiest girlfriend in the whole world until I married her. So what's now good, Travis? What's up? (laughs) But it's interesting. (laughs) It's interesting how you have those kinds of people who are good at everything. Well, when we look at the gospel of Mark, our study through this as a faith family is just seeing that Jesus is incredible at everything. As we study Jesus in his life and in his ministry in the gospel of Mark, we see him in at work in amazing ways, that he is both humble and patient and kind. He's strong and he's sovereign. He raises the dead. He walks on water. He feeds thousands. He heals the sick. He casts out demons. He teaches with authority and with clarity. He humbles the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And as we study the gospel of Mark, we see Jesus on the move. And this morning, as we go to Mark chapter 7, we are going to see Jesus who does all things well. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 7. We have been walking through this gospel as a faith family, and there is so much to unpack here in the text as we're seeing Jesus on the move. It's a fast-paced, hard-hitting book. He's covering a lot of the actions of Jesus and seeing what he's doing here. This is written by John Mark, the the travel companion of Simon Peter in the book of Acts as they go around uh, Europe and Asia, preaching the gospel and planting churches, making disciples. So much to unpack as we see Mark record the life and the ministry of Jesus. Well, after a contentious confrontation with the Pharisees from Jerusalem, Jesus gets up and he heads out on a trip with his disciples 25 miles northwest of Capernaum to the Mediterranean coastal region of Tyre. Now, for more than a year and a half, Jesus has been primarily serving and ministering in the, around the Sea of Galilee caring for the people of Israel. Well, as he arrives in Tyre, he's hoping for some peace and quiet. Ministry has been busy. Crowds of thousands of people have been following him. And he, verse 24, did not want anyone to know that he was there. But he was like a celebrity who shows up in a small town. Everybody knows who he is and everybody wants to see him. Look with me at how ministry begins to the Gentiles in Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 24. Scripture says, Jesus got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Seraphonician by birth, and she was asking him to cast out the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. 
But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed and the demon was gone. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So he took him away from the crowd in private. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephaphatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. He ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. They were extremely astonished and said, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. God loves the world. God loves all people, Jews and Gentiles alike. All are invited to believe upon Jesus, the Son of God. And in Mark 7, Jesus travels outside of Israel's border into Gentile territory to encounter people who are desperate, who are in desperate need of life. Well, Jesus invites all people to believe upon him. And yet notice in the text the posture of the people that Jesus welcomes. I want you to see first in the text, Jesus welcomes the desperate and the persistent. The desperate and the persistent. When this mom hears about Jesus being entire, she drops everything in verse 25, immediately makes a beeline to Jesus. She is desperate for Jesus to heal her daughter. She, verse 25, fell at his feet. She is quite literally face down, prostrate before Jesus, begging, pleading for him to heal her daughter of this demon. Now, this is a mom who's going to do whatever it takes to get her daughter healed by Jesus. If this mom had a minivan, she would have a bumper sticker that says, Mama Bear, on the back. This is a woman who cares ferociously for her little cub, for her daughter. She loves her child, and she knows that Jesus is the one who can save. Jesus is the one who can rescue. She is desperate. But we also see later on in the Decapolis, this deaf man is brought to Jesus. In verse 32, they begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. You see, Jesus was continually confronted by those who were desperate because Jesus is their only hope. In Matthew's gospel, the disciples are urging this woman to go away, saying, Jesus, send her away. We, we don't need her around here, but she refuses to leave. We see in Matthew 15 that she cried out, Lord, have mercy on me, son of David. She wouldn't quit begging. She would not leave. She was persistent. She continually stayed at the feet of Jesus, and she was desperate. Here she is, a Gentile, a woman of Canaan, a Seraphonician, which means she's from the modern-day nation of Syria, a woman who has worshipped other gods. And here she is with a demon-possessed daughter, 
not the type of person who would approach a Jewish rabbi in public like Jesus. You can just imagine what the disciples are thinking. They're sitting here thinking, why are we in Tyre? What are we doing here? We're on the wrong side of the tracks. We're hanging out with the wrong kind of people. They hate Jews. They worship false gods. Jesus, what, what are we doing here? But you see, Jesus will do whatever it takes to bring people to himself. Whether it's going through Samaria to encounter a sexually immoral woman or crossing the Sea of Galilee to heal a man who's possessed by legion, thousands of demons and casting them into pigs so that this one man can be set free or crossing the border to go into Gentile territory to encounter this woman and to change her life forever. Westwood, may that be said of us. May we be a people who are ready and willing to cross over railroad tracks, to cross over borders, to go to those who are desperate so that they might encounter Jesus. May we be a people who don't set ourselves in an inward mindset saying it's about us building a country club. No, 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 no. A church that's inward is going to always miss the mission that Jesus has laid out for her. We've got to be continually fulfilling the Great Commission, looking outward to those who are far from God, ready to cross borders, to go to people who worship other gods and point them to Jesus, who is the one they are ultimately desperate for. What about your family? Is your yes on the table? If the Lord calls you and your family to go to a new land, to go to a new city, to go and encounter people who are far from God, would you go? I want to encourage you this morning, right now, wherever you are, would you posture your heart and say, God, here's my heart, here's my life, here's my family. Would you send me wherever you will? I will go. I will join you in that mission. That's what we see Jesus doing here in the text. He's crossing over, heading into other areas where the Jews are like, we don't go there, Jesus. And he says, that's exactly where we need to go. May that be true of us. But what's also interesting is how Jesus is drawing out this woman's faith. How Jesus is drawing this woman to himself. Look at verse 27. He said to her, let the children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Okay, the type of dog that Jesus is referencing here is not the rabid, mangy beast that would eat trash on the side of a road. No, 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 this is a puppy. This is a, a household pet. Okay, so is Jesus comparing unbelieving Gentiles to dogs? Is Jesus being racist here, as some have accused him? Does Jesus believe that Jews are the superior ethnicity? No, no, no. That's not what he's doing here. Jesus loves Gentiles. Jesus loves people who are not Jewish. We see this in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God loves the world and God loves Gentiles. In fact, Mark's gospel is written primarily for Gentiles. His audience is primarily Roman. 
God loves the world. And we see Jesus, Jesus, we see Jesus verse 24, intentionally going into Gentile territory to show the disciples into how it is to love people who are far from God. Because months later, Jesus would tell his disciples on a mountain that they are to go and make disciples of all nations. Ponte ethnos, of all ethnicities. You were to take this gospel to all people. And so Jesus here, he's not being ethnocentric. He's not being racist. Jesus is using a metaphor to explain that his mission is primarily first for the Jews. You see, Jesus is not being prejudiced. He is explaining his priority. Just as you parents don't prepare meals for your children just to be handed down to the dogs, Jesus is saying that the Jewish people are his first priority. Now we see throughout scripture God's love for the world, but the Jewish people in particular. Certainly God loves the world, and yet Israel has a special place in his heart. For it is through the Jewish people that true Israel would come the Savior of the world, the Messiah, who would come through the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and Solomon. You see, Jesus is true Israel, who came to save the world through his death and resurrection. See, Jesus is the king of the Jews. Jesus is the true prophet. Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus is the true temple. And he came to show Israel that he is the one that they've been looking for throughout the Old Testament. But many of them missed him. They didn't recognize him as the one who was promised. But not this woman. This woman here is desperate for her daughter's healing, and she is persistently pleading for Jesus to heal her daughter. Jesus welcomes the desperate and the persistent. Secondly, what we see here in the text is that Jesus welcomes the humble and the grateful. In verse 28, the woman replies, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now, this woman is revealing her humility before Jesus. She knows she's not Jewish. She knows that she's a Gentile. She doesn't even deserve to be at the table. She understands that Jesus' first priority are the Jews. You see, Jesus' metaphor, verse 27, he's drawing out this woman's faith. And this is what's remarkable. She understands the parable. Don't miss the significance of this. How often did Jesus tell a parable and the disciples didn't get it? They were like, hey, Jesus, what did you mean by that? We're not picking up what you're putting down. Can you explain that further? Not this woman. This Gentile woman of Canaan, Seraphonician woman, is picking up what Jesus is putting down because she responds, verse 28, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She's saying, Lord, I know that your primary focus is the Jews, and I know you focus on the children of Israel at the table, and and I'm just, want you to know, I'm content just picking up crumbs underneath the table that they don't want. Lord, I'm content with you. You are are enough. I want you to know I'll remain a puppy collecting scraps under the table if it means that I get you. You see, this woman, she wasn't offended by Jesus. 
She wasn't demanding her rights. She didn't have any. She was humble and grateful before the Lord. In verse 28, this is her Romans 10 moment. She's calling on the name of the Lord. This is where she's receiving salvation. This is her confession. Lord, I am content being a puppy under the table collecting scraps because it's your table. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable, a story about two men. One is a Pharisee, a religious leader, someone who is self-righteous and pious and arrogant, and he prayed how awesome he was. But then Jesus in the parable tells the story of a second man, a tax collector, one who is so humbled before God. He's so humbled that he won't even look up towards the heavens. He beats his chest in remorse and humility, and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, this man went home righteous rather than the other. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled. You see, when you contrast what's happening here in chapter 7 to what happens earlier in the chapter, where you see these arrogant pious, self-righteous Pharisees coming from Jerusalem and they confront Jesus about how he and his disciples are not keeping all of these man-made rules. And Jesus says, you guys have missed it. And now Jesus is proving to his disciples that those who are arrogant, those who are prideful, those who are self-righteous completely miss the point. So he proves it by leaving the self-righteous, leaving the Pharisees, going across borders to the Gentile nation to show his disciples this is what it looks like. Even a Gentile woman who has no relationship with Israel whatsoever, she is part of the kingdom because she has humbled herself and she is calling upon me as Lord, Lord, she is submitting to his lordship. She's saying, Jesus, you are king and I am willing to sit underneath the table and I will collect what other scraps fall to the ground because Lord, as long as I'm at your table, you are enough. You know, ultimately all, we are just like this woman. We don't deserve to be here. May we never be those who are self-righteous or arrogant or pompous or pious and that we look down on other people's religiosity and how much they lack. And we not look down upon others because they don't pray as well as we do or because they don't have as much scripture memorized as we do or because we think we've got it all together on the outside. Jesus looks past the outside and he looks at the heart. And here is this woman who is just like Mephibosheth. She knows she does not deserve to be at the king's table, but she is humble. She is eager and willing to sit at the floor and receive whatever falls to the ground because of whose table it comes from. You see, true followers of Jesus are humble and grateful to receive whatever gifts the Lord gives to his children. Whatever small gift the Lord gives, we are humble. We are grateful. We're not boastful. We're not demanding. But you know what's so incredible about the Lord? The Lord is not skimpy in his blessings. 
God is not a cheapskate. God loves to lavish his grace upon us richly. Like what Paul says in Ephesians chapter one, in verse seven, he says, in him, meaning in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the, watch this, riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. You see, God loves to display the depth of his riches of his grace towards you in the gospel. Look to the grace that God offers you in Christ. And he doesn't treat you like a puppy dog. He invites you to his banqueting table. He invites you to have a seat as a co-heir with Christ. You have a nameplate at your seat and he invites you to feast at the king's table. All because of what Jesus has done for you through his death on the cross. You are no longer having to sit under a table collecting scraps. You have a seat at the table all because you were willing to get underneath the table because you were willing to be humble and receive whatever grace God would give you that's the mark that Jesus is pointing his disciples to and that is what he's pointing you to to humble yourself and receive whatever God gives and this woman says I will take whatever you will give me I will remain under your table but Lord, I'm asking for a scrap right now because my daughter is in trouble. I've got to have you. And what's so amazing about Jesus is he's not skimpy. He's not a cheapskate. He not only saves this woman, but when you look at the text, he heals her daughter. I love what happens here when Jesus, he says here in verse 30, Verse 29, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And when she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed and the demon was gone. That's the power of Jesus and the grace of Jesus that this woman responds with great faith. In fact, in Matthew's account of this woman and what's happening here in Matthew 15, 28, Jesus says, O woman, great is your faith. Beloved, when you come before Jesus humble and grateful, when you're desperate and persistent, when you cast yourself before him, that is where Jesus will meet with you and he will change you and he will heal you. See, the Lord even celebrates the faith of those who are Gentiles, those of us who aren't Jewish, because we are Romans 11. We're a wild olive branch. We have been grafted in among the Jews. We have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree of Christ, and though we don't deserve to sit at the king's table, he invites us to come. You see, you and I, outside of Christ, we are adopted in through Jesus. You see, as Gentiles, we're not part of the family. But now that we are, because of Christ, but you've got to be willing to be humble and be grateful and receive Christ. The third thing we see here in the text is that Jesus welcomes the deaf and the disabled. Jesus and his disciples, they leave the Mediterranean coast. 
They head east towards the Sea of Galilee, and they continue on to the far side, into the Decapolis. And while he is there, a deaf man is brought to Jesus who had difficulty speaking. Okay, look at the compassion of Jesus, verse 33. He took him away from the crowd in private. Jesus takes him away from the crowd in private. Knowing he's about to heal the man, Jesus here doesn't make a scene. He pulls the man aside, away from the crowd. A man who's probably his entire life he has been mocked and made fun of. As a man who is deaf, a man who has been mute, a man who has struggled with the ability to speak, the amount of criticism and laughter that was pointed towards him, Jesus compassionately pulls him aside from the mocking crowd. In verse 33, Jesus puts his fingers in the man's ears. Now remember, Jews are not supposed to touch Gentiles. If a Jew touches a Gentile, he's considered unclean. But Jesus will not let any man-made rule come between him and his healing power in someone's life. And here we see Jesus placing his hands, his fingers into the man's ears. Now remember, Jesus could have easily just spoken and the man's ears would have been open just like that. Because we go back to the previous passage where Jesus heals the girl who isn't even there. She's still at home. And Jesus just says, woman, great is your faith. Your daughter is healed. And the girl is still at home. He could have just spoken the word and it could have happened. But you see, Jesus touching this man's ears is not about Jesus. As if Jesus needed this, it's for this man to show that he has the power to draw near to a Gentile and he touches his ears. We see the compassion of Jesus. I'm not sure about you, but through this quarantine, I miss appropriate physical touch. I I miss being able to hug and to handshake and to high five. What I love about Jesus is that he's not some religious figure who is distant. But we see him getting personally involved, physically touching this man in order to heal him. Look at what Jesus is doing here. We see him being personal and approachable, drawing near and touching this man. And after touching his ears, Jesus spits in his hands like a major league slugger. And he begins to spit in his hands and then to touch the man's mouth. Now, spit is considered an unclean emission according to Jewish laws. Now, if that still applied, it wouldn't be wise for you to sit on the front row under my preaching. It gets pretty wet in the front, okay? But there's something bigger happening here. Jesus' spit pouring out of his mouth is pointing forward to something greater. Just as the spit of Jesus brought relief from temporary suffering, The blood of Jesus brought relief to eternal suffering. This spit of Jesus is a foreshadowing of months later, Jesus going to the cross where his blood would be poured out of his body so that those who trust in him experience healing. And not only does he spit, we see verse 34, Jesus sighed deeply. 
It's better translated, Jesus groaned. There was groaning in the heart of Jesus as he's identifying with this man, identifying with his struggle, identifying with his pain, and he seeks to loosen his tongue. But there would be another deep sigh that Jesus would give. For on the cross, Jesus would breathe out his last. There would be an an audible groan that would come from Jesus as he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. You see, ultimately, we see Jesus here. He is fulfilling Isaiah 35. that says, the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. I mean, can you just imagine this man's whole life? Ephaphatha, be opened. The first words he heard was from the word of God. Speaking the word of God, be opened. And that is what's true for you. Before you knew Jesus, you were spiritually deaf. You were unable to hear and understand the word of God. But then the spirit of God took the word of God and said to your heart, be opened. And your heart opened and you believed the gospel. And now you can hear. Now you can understand all because of what Jesus has done for you in the gospel. But you know what? I was just blessed by this week as I studied this text. What's the heart of Jesus for the deaf? Did you know that the largest unreached people groups in the world are the deaf There are 70 million people in the world who are deaf. And most have no one to share the gospel with them, no one who will disciple them, no one who will come alongside them. They live in silence, lonely, unable to relate or connect with other people. But for us as a faith family, we're playing our part. In fact, when you and I give a portion of what we give goes to the International Mission Board and Dulos Partners. The IMB of the Southern Baptist Convention has missionaries who are strategically and intentionally sharing the gospel with the deaf all throughout the world. Dulos Partners, uh, one of their partners is working with the deaf, making disciples and planting churches. And so you and I are a part of pushing back against lostness, pushing back against deafness, because we're bringing the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe for some of you, it's time to learn a new language. It's time to begin learning how to use sign language and to use it to engage people who long for relationship and community and ultimately the gospel. But you know what's fascinating about this? The more that Jesus was telling this man and all of the people throughout that area not to tell anyone, the more that they spoke about it. 
It's amazing here in the text. Look at how the people respond. They just can't stop. Verse 36, he ordered them, tell no one. But the more he proclaimed it, the more they proclaimed it. They were extremely astonished and said, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. What we see in the gospel is the power of Jesus to change lives, but then it compels people to open their mouth and go and tell. In fact, that's your impact point today. Westwood, when you first are healed by the gospel of Jesus, we are then compelled to go and proclaim him to the world. When you meet Jesus, not only does he heal you, but when you've been healed, you can't wait to go and tell. In fact, the challenge I want to give to you this week. This week, I want to encourage you to share your story of how you put your faith in Jesus with at least one person this week. It could be a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, Someone in your life. I've seen several Westwood members who've put their testimonies on the internet through social media. Whatever it is, that is a way that you can do what these disciples are doing is that once they've been healed by Jesus, they can't help but go and tell. So Westwood, let us be a going and telling church where we tell people who Jesus is and what he came to do for us in the gospel. Because ultimately, The more that we stare at Jesus, the more that we encounter Jesus, we're going to look at him and say, he does everything well. There's no one like him. No one sweeter. No one better. No one more compassionate. The one full of grace and truth cares about me. And he cares about the world. So now I'm going to go and tell the world about the one who does all things well.